What's up, friends? Welcome to another episode of the Mike Check. My name is Mike Rule. And this is the Mike Check, the podcast that seeks to strengthen the church to make a stronger defense of the faith by biblically checking the unbiblical. Hope you're doing well today. Today, we're going to be lighting a candle. It's here. We should have been talking about it already, but here we are in a presidential election year. We're going to biblically check politics. Let's get at it. Yeah, so, I mean, let's face it. This is not the last time we're going to be talking about this by any stretch of the imagination. And I've never really just engaged this topic headfirst here on the mic check. And so we're going to start. And how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And so let's look at what the Bible has to say about the government, first and foremost. Firstly, the government of the people originated from God, right? If God created the world and God created people, then God created a system or a way to govern those people. Now, keep in mind, God is the only true king. He's the only perfect king. But quickly, within biblical history, in the Old Testament, with God's nation Israel, we see Israel in its sin wanting a human king. We read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Shameless plug for men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings, 7 a.m. at the Crystal Cafe, where we're going through 1 Samuel 8, and we just talked about that. Israel demanded a king from Samuel, and they say point blank in 1 Samuel 8, appoint for us a king to judge us like other nations. So a sinful rejection of God, saying that God is not um, as good of a king as we need, and we want to be like the other nations, and so, sorry God, we reject you as king, and we would like our own human king, because somehow he might be able to do better. Samuel warned them of what having a king would look like and all of the things it meant for them. It's not all sunshine and roses. God also knew that this would happen. And actually, way back in Deuteronomy 17, he gave instructions for the king. First of all, he should keep his heart pure, should keep his heart from idolatry. And we're going to talk a lot about that in a little while. But he literally said for the king to write a copy of God's law and he shall read it all the days of his life, this is Deuteronomy 17, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of his law and the statutes and doing them. Yes, okay, yes, this is Israel. But in it, we see what God expects from a king and by that extension of politics. And while we're on the, the subject of politics, right, some people think, oh, we're not going to talk politics. Politics is a way of legis legislating morality, okay? That's what that is. We, we try and make laws so that our society works better, morally, ethically, whatever. And God literally wrote the book on morality, his moral law, a.k.a. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments, right? Don't worry, have my water standing by. So if we put that all together with the biblical truth, then, of God establishing obviously creating the world, establishing government, then therefore government is supposed to enforce God's law. Quick refreshing sip of water from my Yeti. 
That's the role of government. God established government to enforce his law, specifically his moral law, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments. Romans 13.4 says, For he, the government official, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger of God, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's Romans 13.4. So our word here for servant, in both of those times it appears as the word diakonos in the Greek, which literally is where we get our word deacon. So put those things together. The government is literally God's deacon, God's servant, to enforce God's law. That's what the government is supposed to be doing. And the manner of how they do that, how well they do that, is determined at judgment. And God's standard of judgment is his law. Romans 2.6 tells us he will render each one of us according to his works. And so God's standard is still going to be the law. When we stand before him, he will say, this is my law, and this is your performance according to my law. Now, major caveat for us Christians We will not be judged for salvation according to the law, because Christ obeyed the law for us, and therefore our merit for righteousness is only found in Christ Jesus, not in our ability to obey the law. But as far as how we grew, the law is our guide. For what we did with the lives that God gave us for rewards, the law is our guide. Uh, Romans 2 12 goes on to say, For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Here we go. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So we have to remember that God is the final and perfect judge, and the government will be held accountable for how they did in the calling that they received according to God's standard of the law, whether they realize this or not. Why? Because the law is literally written on their hearts. This is the moral argument for God's um, existence. We all have a sense of right and wrong, including the government. And somewhere in their deep, dark, calloused, cold consciences, when they make crazy laws, they know in their heart of hearts that they're doing something wrong because the Lord put it there at creation. So what does that mean for us as Christians and how we relate to the government? And so as long as they're making policies that are in obedience with God's law, we joyfully comply. No problem. Do not murder. Got it. I 100% support that. And I 100% support the uh, punishment of those who do murder. But if those laws do not... um, Are they not uh, in sync with God's law, shall we say? We have no choice but to obey because we obey our higher king, which is God himself. And of course, the age-old example that we go back to is COVID. When the government overstepped their boundaries and said, guess what, churches? You can't meet. It's too unsafe for people to meet. Everybody will get sick and die. Um, We said, that's nice, but 
um, you can't tell us how to worship. That, that is God who tells us how to worship, not you. And we're commanded in Scripture to gather for worship, so we gather for worship whether you tell us to or not. Same thing with the vaccine in COVID. Government says you have to have this vaccine. Sorry, you can't tell us what to do with our bodies because God is the one who said in 1 Corinthians 6 that, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6, shooting from the hip here, that we are to glorify God with our bodies. He didn't give that command to the government to tell us how to glorify God with our bodies. We are the ones who have to decide what that is. So all that to say, as the government makes laws and other policies that align with God's law, we joyfully obey. And when they do not, we cannot. So where does this leave us then with politics, especially in a presidential election year? So in some ways, the job of the Christian is very simple. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love others as much as we love ourselves. That carries over into the realm of politics. We then make fully informed decisions, or as much as we can, about all things that relate to loving God with everything we have and loving others as much as we love ourselves. Of course, politics included in that. Sometimes I think the tendency of believers is to remove politics from the biblical worldview. There's nothing removed from the biblical worldview. God is sovereign over every single atom in his universe. There are no maverick molecules, as R.C. says. And so therefore, politics has to fall within the realm of our biblical worldview. So everything we decide in our lives and particularly because of this episode, um, how we're voting or things on politics has to align with, uh, do we? does it help me love God more? Does it help me love our neighbors more? Or will it hinder my love of God and my love of others? We're reminded in Romans 14.5 that each one should be fully convinced in our own minds. This means political positions as well as they relate to a biblical worldview. Here is a critically foundational statement on Christians in a biblical worldview and politics. Okay, you ready? If you don't listen to anything else on the podcast, listen to this. No political party is going to line up 100% with our biblical worldview. It's not going to happen. There is no political party, and unfortunately it looks like we only have two these days, Democrats and Republicans, they do not and will not line up 100% with a biblical worldview. They're always going to be off in some way, shape, or form. So our goal in an election, especially a presidential election, is to get as close as possible to that biblical worldview. We must vote for the candidate that is closest to the biblical worldview. This is theological and this is strategic, knowing that no one will be, of course, perfectly 100% aligned with the biblical worldview. It's strategic in a sense because we're using a political candidate or whatever, election, to hopefully accomplish more of God's will here on earth, to hopefully foster and nurture God's law and the things that God loves, to decrease sin and increase righteousness in our country, which leads to peace. So that's strategic in that sense, but it's also theological because we're calling then, we're calling the political parties or the candidates or the presidential candidates in this case to do what you're supposed to be doing, 
which is leading us to follow God's law, which is making laws and policies that are in line with the creator of the universe, which is in line with the very person, the very king, that one day you will bow to, and you will submit to, and you will realize he's the only king. So we need you to start acting like that, that servant of God's law right now. So we've got some... We've got some candidates, right? It's it's hard to imagine, unfortunately, that the presidential election will come down to anyone other than Trump versus Biden. I saw one headline fly by, I believe it was The Atlantic, where it said, this is a choice that most of the voters don't want. Like, I, I think I've said it out loud a couple times. I can't believe we're here again. I can't believe that it's coming down once again to Trump and Biden. Like, that's all we got. <laughs> This is our political system. We have two sides. And within that political system of two sides, the political engagement model says, guess what? Two sides and one side hates the other side. And the other side thinks the other side are complete idiots. And all we do is throw mud and hand grenades at each other from our sides. It is completely polemic. It is completely, if you're a Democrat, you're supposed to think like this. And if you're a Republican, you're supposed to think like that. And you're also supposed to hate each other. That's awful. That Can I just upfront? That's just terrible. That in and of itself is unbiblical and sinful. So how should a Christian then engage in this? I'll give you some do nots. I'll give you three do nots, and I'll give you a couple of what to do. So first of all, do not... Stoop to the level of reviling or slandering the other side, whatever side you're on, okay? Do not revile or slander the other side. 1 Peter 2.1 tells us, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. More than ever, in a political presidential year, of course, we have to watch our tongues. Do not slander. So that's the first do not. The second do not is do not make politics an idol. Many Christians fall into the trap of politics being their functional savior. If only we can get our guy in the office or our party in the office, or if only if we can get this law passed or whatever the case may be, then everything will be fine. I saw one article while researching for this podcast about evangelicals and Trump, which is a whole different thing. And the woman was wearing a t-shirt that said, Trump, save America. That should send shivers down everybody's spine. Nobody's going to save America. Only Christ will save America. And when we look to someone to save, quote, America, that is a functional savior, and that is a cheap substitute for the real thing. Our only answer is found in King Jesus, not King Trump, not King Biden. And that is idolatry, when we start looking at things like that, when we start uh, uh, conflating a savior with a presidential candidate or a party. 1 Corinthians 10.14 tells us plainly, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. How can you tell if something is an idol? Well, of course, if it causes sin, and really sin in three ways. Do you sin in order to get it? Do you sin while you have it? And do you sin if you don't get it? So just camping on this for a minute because I, there is a lot of political idolatry out there. If your candidate or your political party is so important to you that you have to result to sin and slandering the other side or treat the other side harshly, 
or let it consume all of your emotions and energy where, according to the greatest commandment, you should be doing all that for God, you are sinning, and it's an idol. Let's say your party gets into office. Are you prideful? Where does your source of comfort and identity then come from? If it's from your political party and your candidate, it's an idol. And what if your party doesn't get in? Well, how do you react? Are you tempted to fear, worry, anxiety, despair, or even worse, lashing out in violence? That's an idol. So first, don't revile or slander the other side. Second, don't make politics an idol. And third, do not panic. A Christian who is panicked about the election is a Christian whose heart is not resting in Christ. Yeah, I said it. If we are freaking out about who's going to be in office, we are not resting in Christ. How many times are we commanded in Scripture to fear not? We've got to remember that. So three do nots, don't revile or slander, don't make politics an idol, and don't panic, and a couple of what to do here. First, we must know God's law and therefore his whole word. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the law, so the Old Testament and the New Testament. How on earth can you compare what a candidate is saying to a biblical worldview that you have no idea what it is? Or a little idea? Or an incorrect idea? And folks, I gotta tell you, some of the stuff we see flying around in the political arena are evangelicals who don't know their Bibles, or evangelicals who don't go to church. It's awful, and it's doing harm to the gospel message. So we've got to know God's word, first do. Second do, you have to know the candidate's position as much as we can. Yes, I know, they all lie, and who knows what they're going to do when they get in office. But we have to have an idea of where they are. And so first, of course, one and two go together. You have to know the Bible, and you have to know what the candidates are saying, and you have to compare that to the biblical worldview to see who you vote for and who you don't. And third, big overarching one, before we get going in the presidential, well, we're already going, but before we get... Any further, trust in the sovereignty of God. Refuse to give in to fear, worry, and anxiety about who's going to be president. Refuse to give in to idolatry, right? Trust in the sovereignty of God. God is the one who establishes leaders. We see that in, in the Bible. He is the one who puts people in office. And so let's talk a little bit about Trump and Biden, because with all likelihood, it's going to come down to both of them, okay? In many ways, again, we are stuck. We're stuck with two candidates. We're stuck between eating a poop sandwich and a poop sandwich with mustard. Let's just call it, and I'm saying poop, okay? This is a family podcast, and I'm a pastor, all right? It, it's, it's a hard, hard choice. Neither candidate is a Christian. Neither candidate cares about a biblical worldview from what we can see. Neither candidate seems to have integrity. I could go on and on and on. So let's just, let's just realize that, okay? And I want to look at some likes and some don't likes per the biblical worldview <clears throat> for each one of these people. So let's look at Trump. Here's one of the things that, as far as a biblical worldview that we can look at, where some things mostly line up in a biblical worldview. First is that Trump appears to be pro-life. I don't believe for a second that he is personally pro-life. We've seen a man who has decades of sexual immorality, and I don't think he's personally pro-life, but for some reason he appears to support 
unborn life to a degree. Now, we've got to be careful. We can't make this a single-issue vote, and, and I hear that pushback all the time. But on a scale, when we're talking about a scale of destruction of human life, it's got to weigh more than the other ones. In 2020, there were just over 620,000 abortions in the United States. 620,000 human beings killed in 2020. And the Guttmacher Institute reports that they are likely those numbers are likely to be higher in 2023 than 2020. Maybe because uh, one of the gifts of the scandemic, uh, scandemic rather, um, shamdemic, whatever you want to call it, uh, people being isolated, more pregnancies, and then they realize, nope, we're not going to have a baby, and so we choose to murder it. That's the unfortunate. Also, we have an unfortunate side effect of Roe versus Wade. That decision did have some backlash, even though we rejoice in the reality that they, uh, quote, took away a constitutional right that didn't exist at all. You don't have a constitutional right to murder your child. Um, so we uh, rejoice that that was brought back to reality. But the unfortunate side effect of Roe is maybe simply more people are having abortions out of spite. Who knows? But I do believe those numbers will be higher. And so just to camp on that, let's the biblical worldview on a, abortion, it is murder. It is, it is prohibited by the law of God. Do not murder. So when you talk to a candidate who is uh, pro-abortion, or you think about a candidate that's pro-abortion, you're thinking about a candidate that straight up just violates the word of God. Um, life is also made in the image of God. So every human being from uh, the womb to the tomb has value and dignity and worth simply because they are made in the image of God. And I'm not going to go more deep than that because if you want a whole episode on abortion, you can look it up when I talked with Lori Purst from Today's Choice and we talked about abortion. It is complete evil, Okay. So one thing that I like about Trump and we should like about Trump is that he appears to be pro-life in position. Secondly, Trump appears to be co politically conservative to agree. He did put some conservative judges in the Supreme Court. Generally speaking, politically conservative folks have some overlap with a biblical worldview. And where they do, we like that and we support that. Third, Trump appears to be concerned about securing our borders. This is a complicated issue, which we definitely won't go into here, but let me say this on our borders, on not, not on immigration itself, because that's a whole other issue, again, that touches on human beings who are made in the image of God, but just about borders, Proverbs 25, 28 tells us a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, okay? Cities like Jerusalem had walls. Why? To have some sort of control over who goes in and who goes out. If you have no control, which we basically do now on our southern border, it's a hugely dangerous situation. In Genesis, in the account of the Tower of Babel, we read that God was the one who dispersed the peoples all over the earth. And Acts 17 tells us in verse 26, <clears throat> And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. So, God is the one who scattered the nations where they are and put the people where they are in, in his sovereignty. Sorry, more water. And so borders are very, very important to a nation. And Trump appears to be concerned with securing our borders, and we like that. Uh, another one, Trump appears to want to lead our military with strength. 
Um, it is vitally important that we have a strong military, and not just for bragging rights, but again, evil exists. Um, there are people on the other side of the world in very dangerous Middle Eastern countries that want all of us dead, that want America gone, right? The slogan, death to America, is a real thing. And they want us gone for no other reason other than we're Americans. And so if you don't believe that, that's unfortunately the reality, and we need to have a strong military. So Trump appears to want to lead our military to strength. And maybe if I had to put another one on the board about what we like about Trump is that he appears to have more common sense on LGBTQ issues, right? We've lost our mind on, on all that stuff. Clown world is driving the bus, and Trump appears uh, to have a, a more common sense approach on some of those things and appears to align more with the biblical worldview. That being said, <clears throat> all right, squeaky chair. That being said, some things I don't like when it comes to a biblical worldview. Number one, people conflate Trump with Christianity. And uh, people do that because people run around calling Trump a Christian. Trump is not a Christian. I'm sorry. I, we see zero evidence of that. We see zero fruit of that. And I think to conflate that with Christianity distorts the gospel and hurts our message. And we just got to stop that. So people conflate Trump with Christianity. Second, people conflate Trump with the big buzzword now, Christian nationalism. And so the idea with Christian nationalism is unfortunately one of these uh, buzzwords where nobody can define and everybody's working from a different definition. The bad definition of Christian nationalism is that let's take over the government and let's make this a Christian nation. In other words, a top-down approach. So we start by spreading Christianity through government power. That's awful, and that's not the gospel, and that's not what we're talking about. Um, biblical Christian nationalism, if there is such a thing, is bottom-up. Biblical Christian nationalism is uh, the Great Commission. Go into all the nations, teaching them all that I've taught you. I'll go into all the nations, make disciples, teaching them all I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he will be with us to the end of the age. That's biblical, quote, Christian nationalism. Why? Because if you, go, if you do that and everybody in the nation becomes Christian, guess what? Voila, you have a Christian nation. So we've got, to, we've got to realize that there's a big conflation going on of Trump with negative or improper or unbiblical Christian nationalism. And I'll say the third thing that I don't like for a biblical worldview when comparing Trump is, is I believe Trump, and I think nearly single-handedly, caused a loss of honor and dignity in the office of the president. <clears throat> Let's face it, the last election was his to lose. And um, he lost it because of his mouth. He lost it because people were just so sick of his emotional immaturity and his slander and his everything. <clears throat> so since he's been on the scene, the corrosive, malicious, slanderous rhetoric has only intensified. Honor is gone from presidential politics. I think he's brought the whole thing just down in honor because of the way he talks about other people. He's arrogant, he's prideful, and, and it's just, it's hard to look at and it's hard to hear. 
So a couple of things that that I don't like along the lines of a biblical worldview with Trump. Okay, let's talk about the B word. Let's talk about Biden. And uh, like I did with Trump, let's talk about some things I like. Um, Some things I like about Biden. Um, Somebody... Somebody send me something. No, seriously, I I really tried. I even was out to lunch with another pastor friend of mine and said, okay, I'm doing the podcast. What has Biden done that supports a biblical worldview? And his response was humorous. He goes, well, what, what has Biden done, period? <clears throat> but anyway, I, honestly, and I don't mean to be mean, and I don't want to— and this is not slander— Right. This is not. I'm not doing what I say. Don't do. But but seriously, what has he done that supports a biblical worldview? I don't know of anything. I, I thought maybe the borders, in the sense that maybe he's acting out of compassion, but that doesn't make any sense because we murder babies by the millions. So he's not really valuing human life. He's just selecting which human. I, I don't know. Somebody send me something if you can think of something. But here's a bunch of things I don't like, right? Uh, Obviously, there are major problems with comparing Biden to a biblical worldview. He's not even close to a biblical worldview on so many key issues, starting with the value of human life. He obviously does not understand the Imago Dei, the image of God. That's why he is uh, super pro-abortion. He's not even consistent with the Roman Catholic Church on this. He claims to be a Catholic, and the official Roman Catholic doctrine is that all uh, humans are created in the image of God and have value, dignity, and worth, and that's why God's law says do not murder them. So he's not, he's not consistent with the biblical worldview on the value of human life. He is out to utterly dismantle the biblical view of the family— He is, along those lines, way out of sync, of course, on gender, marriage, and sexuality in the way he supports the LGBTQ agenda. And if you want more details on that, go look at the LGBTQ episode. He's way out of the ballpark, the stadium, the state, the country, the world, whatever view of of his view on education. It is the responsibility of the parents to raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, according to Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6, not the state. And yet he is cramming morality, immorality, and an unbiblical worldview down our kids' throats in the public schools. He is way out of step with the role and the reach of the federal government, the spheres of uh, authority, the family, the church, and the government. The government has very, very specific sphere of authority, and we talked about that from the Bible. Biblical worldview says you're, you're God's servant. You're supposed to be enforcing God's law. He's way out of step with that. He's way out of, of sync with the role and the reach of the federal government, which we saw in COVID, and he continues to reach more and more and more into our freedoms. He's way out of sync with the purpose of our military, and we talked about borders. Our border situation's awful right now. The way I'd have sync with the biblical worldview as far as financial responsibility and debt. One thing maybe I should have said that uh, we like or I liked about Trump from a biblical worldview is just human autonomy and freedom. I, I don't know it for 
a fact because I'm not a small business owner, but I have a feeling that small business owners uh, like Trump in office because they can operate more with more freedom and more support. And and the Bible talks about that that human beings are free and we're free in Christ. He's way out of sync in federal aid and welfare. Bible says that people who don't work don't eat, and yet we continue to support and support and support. How many people are now homeless? How many people are out of the workforce because of the last four years? Environmental issues, he's way out of sync with the um, creation mandate and the, um, the view that we're supposed to be uh, stewards of God's creation. He's way overboard on that. And I would say, and again, I'm trying not to slander here, but I genuinely think he is not intellectually fit to be in office. I mean, how many memes are there? Yeah, they poke fun at all the things that he says or doesn't say or when he gets lost on stage and all of that. But I mean, come on. Like, really? I I really honestly think he's not intellectually fit to be in office. Let's face it. There has to be somebody else calling the shots here. There has to be somebody because he's not, he, he can't be it. And then when we talk about fitting that in with a biblical worldview, if that's the case, which I'm not trying to spread conspiracy theories here, but it sure seems like it, um, isn't that a tad out of sync with the biblical worldview by a lot? It's dishonest. It's deceitful. And so personally, if you ask me what I'm going to do in this election, I'm going to do the same thing I did in 2020. I'm going to hold my nose and I'm going to vote for Trump and I'm going to pray because Yeah, even though he's not 100% in sync with the biblical worldview, he's a heck of a lot closer. And that's what we need to get at. And so what are we to do about all this? A couple things as we kind of try to land the plane here. What do we do about all this? Uh, First, obviously, pray. Pray for wisdom for ourselves, discernment to see the things that we need to see. Um, Pray for our leaders. Yeah, even pray for Biden. Right, First Timothy tells us this is good and pleasing to our Lord that we should pray for kings and people in authority. So do that. We need to be praying for them. We need to also be researching for ourselves, right? Again, being fully convinced in our own minds. Don't just regurgitate what we hear on the news, whatever news station that is. Think about these things for yourself as much as you can, right? Knowing that there's a lot of spin and bias, but research for yourself. I think one of the other biggest things that we can do, guys— is be legit Christians, be faithful, be authentic Christians. One recent New York Times article said that Trump is gaining significant support in one type of evangelical question. And are you ready for this? Here's the type of evangelical Christian that Trump is gaining a lot of significant support from. Those who seldom or never go to church. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's the big gains that Trump is making Significant support coming from evangelicals who seldom or never go to church. You got to go to church. And if you want to listen to why, go to the episode on the church and why it's so important. If you're not going to church, if you're not a member of a local, faithful, Bible-preaching church, you're not a faithful Christian. I'm sorry. There's there's not a way to say it and sugarcoat it because the Bible calls us to that. We have to biblically check that. And again, conflating Trump 
with Christians who don't know their Bibles and don't go to church is a massive problem that we're facing right now, because the world looks at that and sees these cuckoo banana people in in trying to rationalize the, what, what piece of a biblical worldview they have, because they don't go to church and they don't know the biblical worldview, and they think it's nuts, and they're right. Evangelicalism is now described in our country as a, quote, identity not one that translates into practice or devotion, right? I would identify myself as a Christian, but I don't go to church. Then stop identifying yourself as a Christian. Seriously, please, because you're just making it worse for the rest of us. So pray, research for yourself, be legit. Be a legit, faithful Christian who's part, a member, a committed member of a faithful Bible-preaching local church, and be legit in the faith. Fourth, I'd say get involved. I mean, for years we've fled politics and left the public square unattended, and look at what we got. Maybe it's time we start attending town meetings uh, for the councils. Maybe we pray or think of serving on some of these committees or even political office ourselves to get some voice into the clown world with a biblical worldview. I say that, and I think that that needs to be a special calling, not necessarily like it's a sacred calling, but I think you need to know what you're getting into. And I think there are people that are gifted to do that, and I think there need to be more people in this time to do that. Another one, understand that we're being used. Like, understand that the evangelical vote, quote, is a thing. And don't let yourself be a pawn in that. Be legit. Um, we talked about guarding yourself against idolatry and sin. It can't be Trump save America. It only has to be Christ save America. And last, and certainly not least, but most of all, here's what we're to do about this. Trust the sovereign God and his perfect plan. I can't stress that enough. Yes, we have to get involved. Yes, we have to know the issues. Yes, we have to vote a biblical worldview on all of the issues and make a good choice. But we have to trust the sovereign God and his perfect plan. I'll leave you with Psalm 115, verses 2 through 11. It says this, Why should the nations say, where is their God? Well, our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold and the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, and do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. This is the emptiness of the, of the unbiblical worldview and idolatry. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Did you catch that? That last part hurts. If we are trusting in a political system or a candidate to be our, quote, savior, then we become just like the idols. We are what we worship. Verse 9, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And so church, remember that our help and our shield is only the Lord and trust the sovereign God and his perfect plan as we forge ahead in this craziness of a 2024 presidential election. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Mike Check Podcast. If you'd like to know more about us, you can always go to the mikecheckpodcast.com. 
We'd love to hear from you. Suggest a topic or give us feedback. You can do so through the Contact Us form or else email directly mike at the micheckpodcast.com. If you'd like to know more about Highlands Bible Church, the best way is to come worship with us or check us out. Sundays, 9.30 a.m. right here in beautiful Vernon. Go to highlandsbiblechurch.org and see us there. We're also on the socials. Hope to see you there soon. But until next time, keep checking the unbiblical with the biblical, and we will see you once again on the mic check.